My strong feeling, and Phil Mayer will probably agree with this, is that if you cannot connect yourself back to what we're naturally capable of doing, then you're not learning anything. A halo neurostimulation system will help you to push boundaries and to perform at your maximum capacity. Now, I'm often testing new products here at Unbeal Mind, and Halo is the most recent that I've tested. And I felt it absolutely needed to be passed on to the tribe. It's a neurostim device that electrically stimulates the movement centers in your brain. It helps you to move better and faster through neuroplastic adaptation. It's as simple to use as downloading an app and plugging in headphones and then sticking them on your head. Use it for 20 minutes and then you go do your movement or your workout. Now Halo, the company, has graciously offered to give a discount to Unbeatable Mind listeners. If you go to haloneuro.com and at checkout use the code UNBEATABLEMIND125, which will give you $125 off a Halo Sport model. That's an unbelievable offer. So use UNBEATABLEMIND125 at haloneuro.com, H-A-L-O-N-E-U-R-O.com to get $125 off. Very generous offer that they put together. Hope you check it out. Hoo-yah. Hey, this is Mark Devine with the Unbeatable Mind Podcast. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining me today. As you know, I do not take your time lately, and I try to fill that time up with interesting, educational, and inspiring things, and today will be no different because I've got some really cool guests. The first time I've actually had two guests on who, call, who are calling in from two different places. Um, we'll see how our technology holds up for that. But before I get going and introduce my guests, um, just remember that it's really helpful if you rate the podcast for other people to find it. And so when you go to rate, just click on the button at the far right, and that'll just you know automatically click all five stars. You don't have to think about it, and uh, that'd be good. So go to iTunes or wherever you actually listen. So you know the podcast shows up now on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, all sorts of places. And um, so go rate it. It helps people find it. And then that helps us grow the show. So I've got my friend Brian McKenzie on today who, man, this guy loves to push the envelope. He is an expert in human performance and movement. Um, I knew him back in the day when he started CrossFit Endurance, and he has just not slowed down since then. He's a real innovator, and um, he's been studying you know, movement and performance since 2001. And you know, when I say he likes to push the envelope, he does it with you know, untraditional training methods uh, like testing altitude, um, hypoxia. Uh, you know, we had some early discussions about breathing and mechanics and introduced breathing, which is a big part of my, my, my training, as well as, you know, dealing with cold exposure and heat and et cetera. And he's also quite an athlete himself, um, regularly, you know, just destroying his body probably in these, in these races and then quickly recovering based upon all his research. So, you know, he's run the Western States 100, the Angeles Press 100. He just gets off on stuff like that. Now, Brian is also um, a New York Times bestseller. His book, Unbreakable Runner, is a must read for anyone who wants to do kind of endurance running. And he's also authored Power, Speed and Endurance. And most recently, and we're going to focus on this today, with a fellow named Phil White, has written a book called Unplugged. And so 
Brian, yeah, Brian welcome. Hello, Thanks buddy. for having me, Mark. Yeah. Appreciate it, buddy. Great to chat again. Yes. Now, Phil, Phil, your co-author is on the line, so let me introduce Phil before I forget. Phil's uh, an Emmy-nominated writer, co-author with you, Brian, of Unplugged, and also Andy Galpin is involved in there. So Andy's not on the line, but we'll not we'll you know toss a nod to Andy. Uh, also, uh, Phil is the author of Game Changer, and I was just laughing a little moment ago. This monstrous book just showed up on my doorstep, and I'm like, where did this come from? And I realized I was going to be talking to Phil the next day. It showed up on my desk uh, on my doorstep yesterday. It's this really incredible treatise on the art of sports science. I'm super stoked to read it, Phil. And then also um, coming out with a new book with uh, Brian and mine's mutual friend, Dr. Kelly Starrett, also the CrossFit um, mobility world. And that's called Flight Plan. So I'm looking forward to that as well. So Phil, thank you for joining us today. And um, I'm super stoked to talk to both of you guys. Oh, thank you, Mark. The pleasure yeah, so, is ours. Yeah, well, ditto. And, you know, just to kind of kick things off, I gave a little bit of background about both of you, but why don't, um, starting with Brian, maybe give us a little bit about kind of your origin. I call it the origin story. Like, who were you um, <laughs> when you grew up? What were you, you know, what were your influences and, and, and why did you get interested, Brian, in, you know, the endurance training world and, and you know, kind of what set you on your path today? without going into all the details on the modern phase or the most recent phase. And then, you know, I'll turn my return to uh, Phil and do the same things. So I'm really curious. And I know our listeners are curious about you guys. Yeah. I grew up in, how long were you, how, where were you stationed, Mark? I was at um, Coronado for yeah. five years and then Hawaii and then back to Coronado. So okay. So I grew up, in the, and the reason I say that is just because you'll have basis of understanding if you were near or around in the 80s, uh, Southern California. And I, I grew up pretty uh, hardcore in the 80s when it wasn't when, – when, when we were really trying to figure out cookie cutter and, um, you know, the, the whole um, – you know, the, the – um, what what Orange County is today is not what it was then. That said, I, I, I was I grew up in the punk rock evolution, and there were three epi three or four epicenters at the time. Uh, you know, London, England was one, New York was one, L.A. was one, and Orange County was the other. And a lot of bands, most of the bands that came out of that era came from Orange County, um, and it, it created quite a scene. So I grew up in a very punk rock scene. Um, but I also grew up when skateboarding was a crime. <laughs> and so when I, Wait, were I, you a punk rocker or like, yes, like very musician? much so. Oh, uh, very much, very much so. Uh, but okay. I, I played sports. So this is where it kind of, it mixes between the two is I, right. I played sports and I, I went to enough school to make sports a, the, gave me the ability to do sports. Right. Um, but I skateboarded, surfed, hang around punk rockers. I was the first guy in my school to have a tattoo. Um, you know, and this was before any, I mean, right now that's a normal kind of thing, I guess. But, uh, back when I did it, there was nobody with a tattoo. Um, and it, it, I'm just the byproduct of the timing and, you know, and, and of what I looked up to and, you know, skateboarding in San Diego, um, and, and Orange County and LA, 
Southern California was the epicenter of skateboarding. Tony Hawk is from, you know, the, 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 um, the Z boys are from Venice. You know, it was a, it was a huge thing. Like this is all, you know, I grew up in that time. And so it had a major influence and impact on me in the manner of why school never really fit the bill. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so I, I, except for providing you access to sports. Exactly. And so, but to say that school doesn't have purpose would be ignorance and, and, you know, school had purpose and it allowed me to get an education and I got through that education. Um, my mom, thanks God that I got through that that education, but I, um, you know, I played sports and and the only reason, you know, and the reason I stayed eligible is because, uh, I I enjoyed it so much and, and I would say sports saved my life to a large degree. What sports were you interested in back then? Um, I mean, I played everything. Yeah, I I swam since I was four um, Mm -hmm. to to a competitive level. Like I was was put in swimming lessons at four, but I took to the water and it was easy. And they started having me swim laps and they had me join a a small kids team. And I, you know, I remember swimming in my first meet and swimming the IM, which everybody had to do. And I swam it backwards and I got out of the pool halfway through and I was just like, I'm over this. And, you know, but then I came back (laughs) and it all happened again. And, you know, I, I swam, I played water polo, I played soccer, I played baseball for about two or three years before I got bored with it. Um, and that's kind of the story of how I, <laughs> how I operate, like things that go slow, things that don't like have a lot of movement to it. A lot of like, uh, explosion to them, um, are just not tailored for my, kind of being so i um you know i, I grab so classical classical music was out in punk at rock. the time yeah and then the irony is is that i got introduced to classical music when i decided to straighten up my act and go back to school and started getting involved in things by a by a mentor friend of mine and he forced me to go with him to um you know to go see classical music and and to partake in these things and and to learn what the arts were and that was i think probably one of the biggest shifts in my life and and me understanding where punk rock came from and where rock came from and where jazz and all of these things originally came from and how the evolution of those things came and that is no different from the evolution of what i've really been able to see with uh the work i do and 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 yeah. where I look at the roots of things and how they operate and how they function and you know mm-hmm. there's not one genre <laughs> there are many genres of music and 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 there are many ways to train and um, yeah. you know it 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 that was you know essentially why I got into endurance sports is I was never really an endurance athlete I was a short course sprinter um, I enjoyed going fast um, I skateboarded you know obviously those aren't very um, you know, uh, endurance related efforts, but mm-hmm. I was so humbled at my first triathlon that a buddy convinced me to do where mm-hmm. I literally was, came out of the swim within the top 10 and I barely trained for it. Um, mm-hmm. then I got on the bike and I w- I had lost maybe 50 places and then I got, went out on the run and I was passed by several overweight people who encouraged me to keep going. And, <laughs> nice. and so it was a deeply humiliating experience for me at the time, but, but it was humiliating enough for me to say, I want more. I want to understand this. And, and that was a sprint triathlon. And so, you know, within the first, I, I think within two or three years, I, I, 
I, I got to doing an Ironman and was fairly successful with it. And that transpired into what inevitably became what CrossFit Endurance was and me understanding it. And all the while getting an education about exercise science and being mentored by specific people and meeting people like Kelly Starrett, who become your closest friend. And At, at what point, Brian, did it, be, you know, did it start to look like a career for you? you know, um, training. When I didn't want to quit. <laughs> I, I, I first started, uh, I, I actually, although I was in school, I decided, you know, at the time, 24-hour fitness was becoming the very hot ticket. And mm-hmm. it was a way for somebody to go make a lot of money um, as a trainer. And so I went in through their program, even though I was in school, and I got certified through their program, which was, a, was I think it was like a maybe a, a three, a, a one or two week process. And then... You went out on the floor and you started selling training, and you know I, I, I it was just so gross to me to be <laughs> selling training versus just train. And so I left, and I and I thought I was going to quit, and then I got an opportunity at a gym that nobody was at. It was a it was this, it was a spinning gym, and it had, three quarters of the day it was was not being used, and so I was able to go and pay rent to train clients there. And for the first few months, I only trained. I only trained one client for the first three months of my actual career. And so I was making like $400 a month. And that inevitably turned into another opportunity where somebody saw me working there and training this gal to opening me into getting me into another space and a place Mm -hmm. where there were a lot of trainers and, and they gave me clients. And before I knew it, I didn't have time and I was making more money than I'd ever made. And it just continued to grow. And I was training trainers within the first couple years of me at this place because I was just doing more innovative things. Like I was the first guy in my area to have kettlebells. You know, I was mm-hmm. that guy back then. And and I was just always mm-hmm. like, oh, what's what, what's the newest thing or what's this other thing or what's that? And, you know, what's this guy doing? How early did you get into CrossFit? Searching the internet, it was the kettlebell, I, I think, thing. And mm-hmm. it, I mean, it could have been a number of things. You know, one was a mentor of mine telling me that CrossFit was not the way. <laughs> and, 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 you know, and that immediately was like, eh, don't tell me no. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Another is, you know, my dad uh, competed at powerlifting for some time. Not He wasn't a big, big powerlifter. He just, he enjoyed powerlifting. And so I had a garage gym uh, from about 17 until I left home at probably about 22 or 23, really. Um, and mm-hmm. so I was, I, I, I was around powerlifting and I was around stuff like that. And so I had access and I, I, I saw people and I, you know, there weren't a lot of people doing CrossFit that were powerlifting at the time, but it, it just introduced me to more underground areas that nobody was really in. And, and this inevitably in, landed on a CrossFit workout that popped up in like 2000, I think late 2005. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, that's kind of crazy, like running a quarter mile and then doing 50 push-ups and then running a quarter mile and doing, you know, whatever. Just that it was a Metcon, you know, and it was kind of crazy the way it was designed. And so I did it and it just destroyed me. And I was like, this is mm-hmm. it. <laughs> you know, that, that, that whole thing. And I went through that. And at the time I was already restructuring how we were training endurance athletes and even my own endurance so we were kind of looking at strength training as a part of endurance training of which nobody was doing at the time, you know, um, and, and I, I don't mean doing stability ball work. I mean, like putting a barbell on your back, the strength training you and I know, and mm-hmm. 
it, it, it was having a profound impact. And then when I was introduced to CrossFit, I was like, oh, this could sew up some holes. And so we started playing with that mm-hmm. and figuring out the, you know, how that worked out. And um, it, mm-hmm. it inevitably worked out really well. And we helped a lot of people change the way they were doing things and gave them kind of a life back. And for some, it didn't work. Some people didn't like it and other people really enjoyed it. And that was kind of the liftoff yeah. period for me. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's basically when I met you is when you were just getting up and running with CrossFit Endurance. I think I met you at the CrossFit Games, like the first year they had it up in L.A. maybe, or maybe it was before that. I can't remember. Uh-huh. Yeah. But anyways, um, so whatever, you know, I want to move on to Phil and hear Phil's story, but whatever happened with CrossFit Endurance, did, did Glassman kind of um, – Hold the no. um, those kind of broad domain no, things back in. No, no, not not with me. Uh, Greg, Greg yeah. and I actually have a really good relationship, um, and we always have. I've never had, even when there was an issue with, with inside the confines of CrossFit, like I had an issue of what was going on and things that decisions that were being made. Um, Greg and I always figured it out. And, and, right. and he, he saw what I was doing and he was like, this is where I prefer to be, but this isn't what I did. Um, and, you know, just run with it. This is your thing. And, uh, you know, he was very gracious with that. When the corporate, you know, takeover came and everything went the way it did, I don't, you know, I, I get it. Um, but it, it was, you know, it was time. We were evolving. Everything I'm doing mm-hmm. is evolved. I mean, like I'm 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 heavily involved with breath work at this point, you know, and so mm-hmm. that was evolving. And CrossFit was wondering if they could, if I was going to bring that in. And I was like, yeah, I, I just don't think that that's something. And I've got this other project I'm doing too. And they're like, well, you need to probably make a choice here on what you want to do. And mm-hmm. that provided the opportunity of something that I felt was coming anyway. And so we just separated ways and we did it in a very, very positive manner, which is what the way I wanted to do it. Right. Nice. Yeah. All right, Phil, how about you? What, what's your origin story? Where are you from and what were the influences and how did you end up being a writer? Sure. Well, I should probably start off with the old uh, Dr. Evil quote, right from the group therapy in Austin Powers, the details of my life, Mark, are quite inconsequential. But uh, that aside, joking aside, Brian's rolling his eyes at me right now. Don't deny it, B. Um, so, yeah, I grew up in, in southwest England in a small town, probably two hours by train southwest of London. And so this is a hard cider country. Well, there is no other kind of cider in England. It's called apple juice if it isn't hard cider. <laughs> and um, cheddar, the place that uh, gave cheddar cheese its name, is uh, probably 15, 20 miles from where I grew up. And so, yeah, that's uh, the kind of area it is. We're only about 45 minutes uh, drive north of the, the south coast of England. So we could get to get to the beach pretty easily. And so, yeah, very rural, a lot of farming. Um, like I said, a lot of cheese, a lot of cider. And so... For some mad reason, I decided I wanted to play college basketball at a certain point. And so I was playing for a National League team, which sounds a lot more fancy than it is, in um, the city of Bristol. And uh, yeah, managed to to get a few... I was with a, a recruitment agency called College Prospects of America and managed to get a few offers and... One of them was to a small school, an NAIA school in a suburb of Kansas City. And at that point, if you could kick a ball from here to the wall, you were also offered a soccer scholarship. And so the (laughs) soccer team at the time was like me and a bunch of Jamaican sprinters. 
And so I, yeah, played but for reasons best known to the basketball coach, played basketball for a couple of years there and, and also soccer and uh, met my good lady wife, got married at the end of my sophomore year, which seems a very Midwest thing to do, doesn't it? You know, and uh, yeah. And, and then really I was an English major and was getting into magazine journalism and I'd actually written a couple of books fairly close to when I came out of college. So they're really microcosm history books. So not to plug them at all, but one is uh, called Our Supreme Task. And it tells the story of how Winston Churchill ended up in this tiny little Missouri town in 1946. And this is where he gave his Iron Curtain speech, which he said Mm. was the most important speech of his career. And he gave a few. And so really, I just tried to tell tell the story, not just from his perspective, but also the college president in that little town that uh, invited him there and how on earth he was able to pull that off. And then that led to Harry Truman was actually involved in that and Truman was there for that speech. And so I started wondering how on earth um, Truman managed to survive a double split in his party in the 1948 election campaign and also this Republican dream ticket that was so strong that a lot of the pollsters actually stopped polling in mid-September, if you can believe that, and just said, you know, it's over. He has no chance. And so um, that book about the whistle stop or not very imaginatively titled Whistle Stop. um, So that was really what convinced me that I could do, you know, book level projects. And then there was this kind of dual track where Obviously, I was a two-sport college athlete, and um, I kind of got into stand-up paddling, at least the landlocked version on lakes and this kind of thing, pretty early. And so Joe Carberry and Dave Shively and some of those guys, the old veterans from Surfer Magazine and Canoe and Kayak, founded Sup the Mag, which is kind of the the stand-up paddleboarding equivalent to those other publications. And I started doing the health and fitness beat for them. Mm. And around the same time, I I jacked up my back deadlifting and Kelly's seen me deadlift, so he knows why. And so I was just really looking online for for different ways, non-pharmaceutical ways to fix my back Mm. and came across Kelly. And so I pitched my editor you know, I found this guy who's doing this this thing called mobility, you know, and has a mobility and movement system. Could we maybe do, you know, his top five tips to sort out your shoulders, you know, to, to prevent paddling injuries or fix those? And so, the, yeah, the, we could do that. I don't think my editor had any idea what I was talking about and probably still doesn't. But uh, <laughs> we interviewed Kelly and he was very gracious with his time. And he ended up doing a video for us and we did a couple more pieces and, then he started to kick around the idea with TJ Murphy, who obviously is partnered with Brian on his previous books as well, the idea of doing Ready to Run. And so we started talking about, well, wouldn't it be cool if we could do a Ready to Run style book for surfers and paddlers? And so really just, um, you know, if, if you're going to be doing these sports, how should your body be able to move? And if it can't or you're broken, how, how might you be able to start fixing that? And Mm -hmm. so we did that one and then flight plan, which you mentioned earlier, and it ended up kind of flipping the order of those. So as I said, hopefully flight plan will be out uh, this year and then hopefully next summer, uh, Waterman 2.0, which is this uh, mobility and movement book for surfers Mm -hmm. and paddlers. And so in the course of this, Kelly is the ultimate connector, as you know, and is very generous in, in introducing people and sending text messages out of the blue. And so I really just got introduced to Brian through that. And uh, we started 
kicking around the idea of what you know what would a book project together look like and really settled on this area of fitness technology and at the time he was doing quite a lot of work with Dr. Andy Galpin at Cal State Fullerton and so we thought well wouldn't it be great to have Brian the practitioner and Andy the scientist and really see if we can find a uh, common ground in between the two for how to better use fitness technology to do it more intentionally and uh, and as the name would suggest of unplug to some sometimes when you need to disconnect from your tech and and really reconnect to your instincts, um, to other people in authentic community and to your environment. Right. Awesome. What's flight plan going to be about the one you're doing with Kelly? The, sure. The, the and title so isn't intuitive to me. Like it's not, oh, it's about travel. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. And so really just strategies for surviving or not just surviving, but thriving during air travel. And so um, p- partly, obviously, the jet lag element, but then this very toxic environment of the aircraft and the airplane. You know, you're dealing with with junk light. You're dealing with uh, a seat that, as Kelly says, leads to an orthopedic perfect storm. And so mm-hmm. we, you know, we, we got some um, some good folks together, Brian being one on the breathing side and then Jocko Willink. um Matt Hasselbeck, all manner of people to uh, to share their experiences and, and their tips in, in different ways and really came up with this 12-step protocol of which the first is admitting you have a problem. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> joking aside, really just this pretty simple protocol of, of how to fly better and do so in a way that you're able to perform, you're able to recover, and it doesn't just trash you. This podcast is supported by Ample. The Ample meals aren't just protein shakes, they're complete meals, including fiber, healthy fats, as well as protein. I love Ample, and I try to have at least one a day in the morning. Now, life's crazy, and this makes eating healthy on the go so much easier. I consider it the new MRE, meal ready to eat. Just add water. You can get a 400 or 600 calorie complete meal in a bottle made from superior real food ingredients designed for optimal nutrition. It's non-GMO, no artificial crap, no gluten, no soy. Now, my friends at Ample are offering a 15% discount off your first order if you're interested in checking it out. Go to AmpleMeal.com and use the code UNBEATABLE15. UNBEATABLE15. Ample knows how much I love this product, and I want you to try it too. So go to AmpleMeal.com, use the code UNBEATABLE15 to get a discount on your order. Check it out. It's great stuff. You know, when, before I want, I want to jump into this, um, the book that you guys have written and, and start talking about that. But Brian, you mentioned, you know, music and classical music and training were, you know, two influences. And I, you know, it occurred to me that there's a lot of similarity, you know, in that, in the way how people approach the two and that they really like it with music. People focus on the sound and the melody and, you know, the, the actual noise, but they, they don't really focus mm. on the silence and the space between the notes. And the same thing with training, mm. you know, people focus on the movement and they focus on mm. the kettlebell swing and, and the, um, the wad, but they don't focus on the space between the movements and the space before and after very well. And, and it's interesting because that's been a, a lot of my work yeah, as well as yours actually is to, to really bring uh, a large focus to the space between the movements with your breath and with mindfulness, and then as well as before and after with preparation and recovery. Yeah, well, so it's kind Mr. of a cool divine depth you do not lack. So uh, <laughs> that is exactly. <laughs> 
That's the well, nicest thing anyone said about may, me. May, may it continue, my friend. Uh, you know, I, I, I thoroughly agree <laughs> that if we're continuing to look at the same things over and over <laughs> and, and expecting a different result, that we are as insane as we actually are sometimes. And, uh, oh, yeah. yeah no and, I, and I'm as insane as anybody, and I just catch the behavior, and I, I look at it, and I, I what what is it doing? But, I, you, know, I, I, you know, with music, even, I, I think I heard... Yeah. It was in a song by a band by the name of Stick Figure, and it's like they have a song called The Weight of Sound. And somebody asked me what kind of music, like what does music do for me because it influences things. And I'm like, dude, like I look at music as like I want to know what color and taste it 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 is. And, and what is that mm. weight that it's doing? And, and what is what what is the sense between things? And what's that pause? And what's that everything about it? And, and I was largely avoid of that until you know, or devoid of that until I decided to look into like things like classical and expand where I go. And so it's like, you know, what's your favorite genre? And it's like, <laughs> it's what's my favorite band or favorite, you know, group or favorite, uh, you know, composer in each genre yeah because it, that that's gets, that's pretty big it, right yeah yeah i'm the same way i don't you know i don't have i don't play favorites i i like quality you know um yeah so speaking of quality you know the you know one of the things that i've been kind of like dancing around with these days is <laughs> this whole you know hacking community you know i even i even invested in neurohacker collective because i love their, well, they, their yeah. um neurotropic qualia so much yeah but um i'm i'm and i'm and i'm friends with dave asprey uh from bulletproof um but i'm i'm also you know a very wary of this the notion that the hack is is the same as the work you know it's not the hack the hack and the tool is just a tool you know it's just a it's an augment it's some sort something that's going to hopefully make things easier or accelerate your your training or your growth but it doesn't substitute for work or for rest for that matter for non-work for what the mm -hmm. yogis call stira sukha effort and surrender but people mistake the hack for the yes work, don't they it seems like um I, I think by and large, that's what we see. And that's why we see that technology or, or even things like fitness trackers and Phil can hammer on this as well, uh, that they by and large do not work. You know, every study, every bit of research that's being done on these things is showing that they didn't do anything yet. You have celebrity after celebrity touting them and talking about them because they're being paid oodles of money and, you know, they're, they're using them, but they're already active people, right? Mm -hmm. And so is it really changing these things or is it, you know, like what's mm -hmm. going on with my iPhone? Like, am I on that thing all day long and, and how is it helping me and what am I doing as a result of mm -hmm. it? And the, the, the paradox about it all though is that technology is going to, to continue to evolve and it's going to accelerate and it's accelerating at a rate that we can't keep up. We cannot evolve with, but my strong feeling and Phil Mayer will probably agree with this is that if you cannot connect yourself back to what we're naturally capable of doing and, and how nature has provided, um, you know, then, then you're not learning anything. And, and you're not doing what you were actually hardwired to do. And, and it's as simple as like, you know, when I went, I, you know, I'm about to go on another shark dive down at Guadalupe with uh, Great Whites. And 
Yeah, it's going to be awesome. And I and I just found out that I actually got the path. Well, I mean, the the, the cool thing I anyway is <laughs> I just got a pass to get out of the cage if I want to. Now I don't know that that's going to happen, but I have gone shark diving before, oh, and I've cool. been I've I've been in the water with thirty or forty sharks, and it's absolutely mesmerizing to watch this. And you know, here's a here's an animal that could shred you to nothing mm-hmm. and eat you quite fast, and especially in groups of thirty or forty, and you know, they didn't mm-hmm. and they didn't because you behave in a specific manner and you're respectful and you do things. And, and I actually did a, a post about this on, on Instagram right. and I told the story, but it's like, we're actually hardwired in that exact same way. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Let's pause there. So uh, to my yeah. knowledge, no Navy SEAL has ever been attacked by a shark. And, and um, I, as far as I can, you know, using my, deep analytical skills, I can tell that the reason for that must be that we energetically don't fear them, right? And so and so we're not drawing attention to ourselves. They're not picking up whatever signals that they normally pick up. And, and you know, predators go for the weak, regardless of you know, whether they're strong like a shark. And so Navy SEALs doing their thing, they don't look like mealtime for the shark. What do you think about that? Correct. Well, I'll tell you what. So part of that story is two of my buddies that were with me, um, they'll, they'll remain nameless, but you know one of them. <laughs> um, they started freaking out a little bit. And so what happened is I, we didn't know they were freaking out by looking at them, but the sharks did. And the sharks' movement behavior changed. It mm-hmm. got erratic. It got erratic very what quickly. They do? They start and the, the our guide twitching a little bit. got everybody's face out of the water and said, whoever, you, we, we need to call on or we're getting out of the water right now. And my two buddies, the two buddies just basically went, hey, we're kind of freaking <laughs> out right now. Breathing quick. <laughs> Sorry, that's us. And he's like, look, we, we need to get out of the water. You guys need to calm down. If you calm down, they calm down. In, in, and they both calm down. And the shark's behavior, the erratic behavior, changed instantly. Mm-hmm. And I was that that moment right there changed everything for me. In that, wow, we are so of devoid of that stuff that we, like we're just so lost on all this stuff. And it's like I don't even like most people are like I wouldn't even get in the water with that. I wouldn't even do that because of my love. And I'm like, why wouldn't you want to experience that to understand it so that like. You just understand that that thing on your phone that's telling you when you're supposed to go train or when you're not supposed to go train or that thing, you know, your heart rate monitor, your heart rate variability score, like you've got, you're hardwired to understand that. You don't need that thing. But most people do in order to get back to understanding the connection to the feeling to what's right. going on. Yeah. Everyone's become so disassoci- disassociated or disconnected from their body that the technology can be useful to bring awareness back to things that they yeah. should be aware of. And I, I love that example of the heart rate monitor for heart rate variability. I mean, cause you know, there's no question that that's useless for, for me. Like I, I wouldn't even, you know, it'd be, it'd be silly for me to put one on because I have, I'm always paying attention to my breathing and my heart rate and, and, you know, using that to maintain some physiological balance, especially when I start to feel a little bit out of balance. But that's because I've been training for that and I've been aware of it for a long time as an endurance athlete, just like you. 
So I think technology, like you said, you can can kind of show you the way. It's like a trail marker, right? Yes, sir. And that's the way it's designed to be used. Unfortunately, that's not what's being sold. So you get what you're getting is the same type of marketing, the same type of thinking, the same type of business mentality that you have with things like big soda, alcohol, tobacco. You know, there's this marketing of things that it's going to solve those issues versus, hey, there's a, there's another way to do this. You know, and I, I just think that we could be better at the way we're delivering these things. Right. By the way, before we leave the shark story, you know, what we tell our seal fit students before we jump in the ocean and go on long <laughs> swims. They said, you know, the best way, guys, to, to survive a shark attack because you're not trained like a Navy SEAL. And they're like, what? Oh, my God. I need to know this. I said, well, when the shark comes near you, pull out your knife, stab your buddy, and swim like hell. <laughs> and they just stare at me like you got to be. I have, you know what's funny is I have a guy, I have a buddy of mine who I've known for like 15 years who I used to train. And he and his buddy signed up for Kokoro. And he like hit me nice. up about it. And I'm like, buddy. I don't know like that you understand what it is you just got involved in. And this guy does not like suffering <laughs> at all. <laughs> and I'm just oh, like, no. start doing some cold training, start understanding breathing and start getting prepared for understanding yourself on a very deep level, my friend. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. And that's absolutely right. Kokoro really is a, a journey of self. 100%. It really has nothing to do about nah. the physical training. So what's the what's the current research? You you mentioned research is showing that the the, the tech and when and let's also describe tech categories. I know you got there's a lot of different tech that's being used. I, I've got a halo, and I actually um, I, I've seen some results with it, right? And so we're kind of letting them be a sponsor for a while. I like the halo, the electrical stim. That's a that's a tech, but like the wearable devices such as you know the things you wear in your wrist, and even though my, I have one of those Garmin Phoenix watches. I just don't use any of the, the fitness tools because I find them kind of useless like we talked about. But what, what are the categories of the tech and kind of what's the research say about them? For e- Del, either of you want to rock this one? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the big things that we, we really focus on in the, in the book, and it's not the pick on those guys, but is wearables. Mm-hmm. And one of our big influences in writing this was Adam Alter's book, Irresistible. Mm-hmm. which is excellent. And he really gets into, from a design standpoint, Brian just alluded to this a moment ago when he was talking about big soda, you know, and fast food marketing and this kind of thing and how they create addiction. Right. Well, if you think that the tech companies are not trying to create some level of dependence or addiction, you know, uh, you're probably mistaken on that. And so the it, this is a very intentional design thing, both from a, a hardware and software standpoint. And now we didn't just want to copy and paste what, what Adam talks about in Irresistible, but um, that is definitely one of the factors. And now you're not just having wearables, but this this horrible side term of hearables. So, you know, you're starting to see these sunglasses now with earbuds on them. Mm-hmm. And it's using certain things from the sunglasses you know where it where it's connected to your head essentially to uh to whether it's from you know skin temperature or whatever it might be to to gauge certain measurements about what's going on in your physiology hmm. and then to provide training advice on the spot and so they do have some 
some, you know, what is your goal, you know, and companion software and companion apps and this kind of thing where they try to individualize a little bit based on what, what you want your outcome to be. But then also it's literally telling you when to speed up and when to slow down in the moment. And hmm. that's very distracting, by the way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's one of our points in the book. Like if you're going to be mapping your run or whatever, that's great. But just look at it afterwards so that you can actually be fully present, you know, like as if we need one area of our lives that we're contactable, um, that we're we're enabling an intrusion to get in in our headspace and distract us and pull us out of the moment. And so, yeah, really, they're looking at not just these visual elements anymore, but also the other senses. And so, as I said, hearing, you know, our sense of comprehending sound is one. And then you also get a little ding, you know, if you if you reach a certain milestone. And so it's really an assault on all our senses. And so one of the things that Andy brought to the table and um, really helped me with and helped Brian with in our thought process was saying that, you know, we take one or two markers in the body and we try to make that everything. Mm-hmm. Right. Even though on the surface or a cognitive level, we may know that the body is a not just one system, but a system of systems and uh, that there are hundreds or possibly thousands of markers within each system. And then those are tied into hundreds or thousands within another system. Mm-hmm. And so in trying to ext- take one marker, say heart rate, you know, at the base- basic level and make that everything or heart rate variability and try to make that everything about recovery mm-hmm. is a dangerous game. And um, it's really, it's reductionist in one sense, but then going up, spinning up the other way, it's trying to take something that cannot be reduced and make it the be all and end all. Extrapolative. We'll just coin mm-hmm. that right there. That's wild. Okay. So what, what are some of the devices though again so let let me because i'm not a device guy i I know about you know some of the the wrist worn stuff so we've got the heart rate we've got the wrist stuff which is going to measure your calorie counters um, you've got your step counters um you know okay so like when when someone wears uh, what's the device that counts you know everyone's doing the 10 i think that's like a fit yeah 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 fitbit fitbit and then new one actually, Mark. I, I saw the other day, ha- and not to pick on one company, but claims that it has an onboard blood oxygen sensor, which I can maybe antagonize Brian with that and let him run with that from there. But it's starting to to say that it's they, going to use this. Tricking them um, or well, it, the marketing piece I saw was saying that it could help you identify sleep apnea. And I'm not sure what it's going to tell you with your training, but Brian, you'd be better able to speak to that particular uh, measurement there. Yeah, well, I mean, we, this is kind of this moves more into the work of like what you've done over the years, Mark, as well. Like even mm-hmm. with breath work and how we we want to stabilize blood oxygen levels in a in a positive mm-hmm. place. Um, and it's not necessarily oxygen is why we breathe, but it becomes CO two is right. the culprit in why we breathe. You know, um, and so having a an intolerance to something like that develops into an overbreathing rate or a high respiration rate, which in turn is more or less chronic hyperventilation, which can have a long-term effect. And so the problem with, with this is where we start to monitor, you see, but you see pulse oximeters and blood ox- oxygen monitors in hospitals a lot. Um, and, and it's because they're trying to monitor, they want to, they want to know if somebody's 
oxygen levels are depleting and, and, you know, by and large, 55% blood oxygen level means you're basically brain dead because your brain's not getting enough oxygen. And so looking at these things, unless you've got some of the highest level stuff out there, which is going to cost in excess of thousands mm-hmm. of dollars, um, none of these things are accurate. And, and I've got ones that cost upwards of $300. And so the, and, and they're being used in places that are very easy to get to, meaning your index mm-hmm. finger. And so with light, you can pick up on what's going on. And they're doing a lot of things with light now. But the idea is, is that they can tell what's going on. And if you're actually becoming sleep, ap- if you get into sleep apnea, things like that, blood oxygen levels tend to drop. And so you can have major problems, right? Well, it, it would be picking up on something like that. But how accurate are these things? And the problem is, is most of them are highly right. inaccurate. And But we're touting them as be-all, end-all versus actually understanding the fe- what, what, what we feel like and how that's happening. And, 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 and let's just use, for instance, breathing is one of these things. Because that was actually one of the things I used with mm-hmm. Kelly. Um, as I, I prepared Kelly a couple of years ago for a Molokai to Oahu crossing for, so paddling. And, um, he, you know, in, in, he got a, um, one of these companies sent him a heart rate variability monitor. And one day he told me, he was like, Hey dude, uh, you know, heart rate variability score saying I shouldn't train. And so I gave him a breathing protocol and I said, go try the thing now. And he came back and he was flipping his lid. And he's like, dude, I'm, it says I'm green lighted. I can train. What, what just happened? And I said, well, one, we just, we just rewired your nervous system because breathing's a remote control to the brain and the nervous system. And so we took you from more of a sympathetic state down to a parasympathetic state. And the, unfortunately, heart rate variability cannot account for the breathing and the alteration of the nervous system. And all it can account for is the variability between beats of the heart. And so what we've got now is, you know, somebody who's actually calmed down, ready to go and is ready to go. Right. And so if that, that's interesting, if we're can the, I pause there? That reminds yeah, me yeah, of, of um, someone sent me the company, uh, sent me something called an aura. It's a ring. Yes. A ring, right? Yep. So, I have yeah, one. So, yep. And so I was like, I gotta try this out, you know. So it's it's supposed to be tracking my sleep, and yeah, I mean, that didn't didn't seem real accurate, but it, I, I was willing to take it at face value. But then it's tracking my movement, and I was like, well, um, and then giving me, they said the most important um, data point was my readiness to train, which is kind of what you're talking about with yes. Kelly. And I said, okay, so yes. I said to the the owner of the company a couple of weeks after I tried this thing, I said, well, you know, the problem with this is that. When I train, I'm not taking steps. You know what I mean? I'm doing pull-ups. Yeah. I'm doing burpees. I'm doing kettlebell swings. I'm rowing. I said, I'm not taking steps. I said, so this doesn't accurately, you know, it doesn't accurately pick up my training uh, intensity. And so, therefore, the calculation when combined with sleep is completely off for my readiness. And so, I said, this is really only useful then what you're saying is for someone who walks a lot or maybe jogs. And he never responded to me. Like it was chirp, 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 chirp. Yeah. I'm like, okay. And I gave the ring to someone else and I said, done. You know, I'm sure it's got some value and I don't mean to ding those guys on this podcast. No. And I actually don't think you are. And if, you know, it's unfortunate that, um, you know, you build something 
and you can't have critical thinking centered around right. it. And that's the unfortunate part. And, you know, I, unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, fortunately for me, I've learned to accept that as part of the process. Mm-hmm. And so if I get a complaint or I get something from somebody that, that I may not like at first, it, it's an instantaneous, let me look at this a little deeper, right. you know? Um, so I think you're you're spot on, and this is part of the problem: is that they think that they've got something that's going to solve people's solutions, but the, the the reality is is it's not, and they 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 really know that, and it's not the answer. But the big money, unfortunately, falls into the data collection, yeah. Yeah. and that's what's the 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 real issue becomes. And so you know, it's it's well, what are you doing with the data? And how are you doing it? Oh, you're selling. You're going to sell that for millions, and you know, it's like I agreed to that. (laughs) This podcast is supported by Qualia, brought to you by the Neurohacker Collective. Qualia is a nootropic, that's a brain supplement essentially, that will help you reach your full potential cognitively. Now, I love this product. I use it every day. And when I run out, I feel like I'm, you know, maybe missing out. When I take the Qualia, I'm able to think more clearly And I feel more focused and engaged. You know, it really also helps me when I'm tired and overwhelmed get back into my game. I think Qualia is a breakthrough product and the ingredients are all extremely high quality and they cover a broad spectrum of neurological capacities. So you're going to have to check it out and research it for yourself. But the best way to do that is to actually try it. And Qualia, the team over there, has offered you a 15% off the price of a monthly subscription. That is awesome. I mean, that is, is extremely generous. So if you want to get 15% off and try out Qualia, then go and get a monthly subscription. Just try it out for a couple months using the code UNBEATABLEMIND15R. Don't forget the R. UNBEATABLEMIND15R. And it's sold at their website, neurohacker.com, N-E-U-R-O-H-A-C-K-E-R.com, neurohacker.com. Use the code UNBEATABLEMIND15R to get 15% off that monthly subscription. Check it out. I think this stuff is awesome to support your training in developing an unbeatable mind. Hoo-yah. I do do think some promising um, tech is in the realm of neurostim, so that's where the you know, the, the results of the halo, they have actually been, you know, proven by, and they're being used by some sports teams yep. where you're stimulating, you know, the, the movement center of your brain, you're going to get a neuroplastic spillover effect. So that seems promising. The other one I'm, I'm using right now is called a chill pad or a chili pad, which helps uh, yes. regulate my body temp while I sleep. So yep. that literally I have one, those two are the only two devices that I'm using right now. Cause I, other than that, um, ice bath, you know, breathing techniques, um, sleep, <laughs> you know, walking in nature, you know, yoga. I mean, yeah. these things are all the, the, the things that have been, you know, essentially the human body was designed to do to, you know, for recovery and for preparation of, for a performance moment, uh, you know, really mostly the most beneficial ones have nothing to do with tech as far as I can tell right now. Now, AI and AR and VR might change that someday. Yes, oh, I, I actually I, I largely agree, and I actually think that things like the Aura and even whatever the Whoop and you know there, there's I have all of these things um, unfortunately, and you know I spend the money and I spend it to understand it and to see what I can connect and figure out with it, and then you know it's okay I I've I, I got that mapped you know um, and 
you know, you're you're kind of you're saving money in, in a large way where you're like, <laughs> well, I'm letting you eh. do the work for me. Yeah, you spend the well, money. Well, ma- ma- maybe you know, and it, but but work. but I'll tell you what, you know, what's interesting is a lot of the tech is allowed to understand the breathing in a way that I don't know that too many people have really investigated. And and now that we're there, it's holy crud. Like, you know, it's become this, oh, you mean doing just, you know, something like Wim Hof isn't going to solve everybody's issues or doing just pranayama isn't going to solve everybody or just box breathing isn't going to solve everybody's issues. And it's like, wow, there's not a one, one, you know, there's not a one program that fits all kind of like training. Mm-hmm. And, you know, right. it's, uh, it's very it, personalized. It's interesting yes. you say that because I've always believed that about training and, and I know you have as well. And now we've, like I've re, um, uh, released a program called Kokoro Yoga last year mm-hmm. uh, with a book by that name that actually TJ did help me with. Um, mm-hmm. So we have that in common. He's a, he's a good support guy when it comes to writing books. Yeah. And um, I like how he spices up my language a little bit. Anyways, that's a side bar. So the, the idea around it is that, and, and first of all, I look at yoga just as personal practice for evolution, right? It has nothing to do with, you know, sweating and spandex pants or group exercise class, which is what, you know, has been kind of conflated to here in the West. So the idea is that, you know, we're going to evolve ourselves and, and we're going to use that evolution for performance as athletes or, you know, for survivability as warriors uh, or, you know, generally speaking, to, to feel more content and peace, at peace of mind, more connected as human beings. And everybody's different. And so the, the movement, the breath, the um, concentration, the visualization, and the mindfulness or meditation that we use on any particular day will really depend upon where we are in that day and where we are in our lives, right? And so what we use as an 18-year-old is going to be different as, than a 50-year-old. What we use in the spring is going to be different than in the fall. What we use in the morning is going to be different than the evening. Yes. And what we use in preparation for a hundred mile run is going to be different than what we've used in preparation for the CrossFit Games. Yes. And so you know, it's very personalized. Yes, I could not. And that's kind of that new more. to people. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, but you know, it takes a little bit of a wisdom and and training to figure out how to personalize it, and that's where the rub comes. That's why people need coaching. Yeah, well, exactly, and that's why you know, I, I think that's the learning process as well. Too. I mean, I, I literally I went and spoke. Um, a couple hours ago at, uh, at the Deschutes County mental health place. Cause they're, de- they deal with a lot. Of, they, it's the mental health place and they are dealing with a lot of the poor, um, you know, places around the area of where we live, which are quite poor. Um, like I've never really seen poor like this. Um, wow. you know, I mean, people living in the middle of nowhere and trailers that are, you know, destroyed and, you know, they can't feed people and, they deal with all this stuff and, you know, went, we went through a lot of the principles of breath work, you know, just based around position, inhale, exhale, like mm-hmm. what's doing what, what's sympathetic, what's parasympathetic and how it works and how it doesn't. And, you know, the, the, they're like, you know, okay, so well, what do we give people? And it's like, <laughs> that this mm-hmm. is where being an artist and being somebody who wants to learn comes in and, you know, this is where you, even technology to a large degree plays a role. Like, what do you want to understand? And then are you willing to share that with people so that others can understand and make sense of things and we can progress as a species? And that's unfortunately the problem I, I see within the hack world is it becomes a hack or a way to go around something. 
and you're no more equipped right. with nature. And so when a hurricane hits, it's like, my God, what do we do? And it's like, well, look, we got a city, one of the largest in the world that's set up in a floodplain. What did we believe was going to happen? Mm-hmm. And how much, right. just because no 15, 20, 30 years went by without anything happening, like, you know, and it's terrible. Right. I'm not trying to, to, to say what's going on, but it's like, we, we don't like indigenous cultures had this stuff mapped out, man. Native American it's women. Insane. It's insane, isn't it? Back back to the comment about insanity. We we really do. We're we're deviating away from training, but the point is that training effectively can help you think better, right? That's yes. that's really been kind of what my drumbeat over the last few years. If you want to, you know, use the training in an integrative manner, so ultimately you, you're thinking better. You're making better decisions because, gosh, it seems like as a, as a Western society, at least, and it's probably global, we've really forgotten how to think well. You know, our thinking is very reactionary. Our thinking is very short term. Our thinking, you know, is really screwing up the environment. And, you know, it's starting to rear its ugly head right now. And we're seeing that in places like Houston and, yeah. and desertification and, you know, mass migration caused by human, you know, yeah. intervention into the environment. So that's really short term. And, individualistic yeah. and disconnected thinking. So I think humanity needs to, you know, needs to start breathing because, you know, I don't care <laughs> if it's box breathing or Wim Hof. When you start breathing, you're, mm-hmm. you're affecting your consciousness and you're evolving it, right? Cause you're opening up areas of your brain and you're connecting to your heart and you're basically, that's when you begin the process of integrating into what I call your whole mind. That's what Kokoro yeah. means, whole mind. And you're able to, um, to, to make decisions that are for the better, betterment of all, humans and not just your pocketbook or, you know, winning the game. Yeah. As a good friend of mine says, um, who is, he's an engineer in NASA and he's like, all the good shit is in the rear view mirror. And, and you know, all this stuff, yoga, um, you're talking about, you know, just the way people breathe and they don't. And I mean, native American indigenous cultures had this mapped out. I mean, I've, I've read books that go back almost over a hundred years. And, and they're, they talk about how indigenous cultures didn't do mouth breathing. <laughs> they just breathed through the nose right. and how they were afraid of this stuff. And, you know, it's it just, it's, yeah, they also knew how, they also knew how to run Yeah, because they were running yes. barefoot. Because they had to. <laughs> <laughs> they had to. Right. That's awesome. And I, I think a lot of it, Mark, is um, we, we're ch- we chase complexity. Like we, right. we have this mistaken view that. In, in order to solve something that we've let become a complex problem. For example, one of the things Brian and I are diving into with with uh, Rob Wilson and others on the breathing front is uh, just the effect of always being switched on, you know? And, and one of those populations is, um, is veterans, you know, former special forces who have been medically discharged, who are dealing with TBIs and... Um, and with PTSD as well. And uh, one gentleman told me the other day that he had over 50 distinct symptoms mm. and, you know, and it made him into some, the kind of father he didn't want to be, the kind of husband he didn't want to be, the kind of human he didn't want to be. Mm-hmm. So in recognizing that he had two ways to go and one was a way that was going to destroy himself and destroy his family or two was to get off these 13, 14 medications, which were muting some symptoms while exaggerating others 
and he chose the correct path and one of the tools in the toolbox the you know he he talked about this concept of going avoiding complexity and needing to go back to simplicity and some of the most elemental things about his existence and just life in general and as he said i mean there is nothing more elemental or fundamental or simple than breath and yet we take you know 15 16 20,000 breaths a day maybe were you aware of even a single one and if not what it what is the effects of that and so you know we the effects of this this helter skelter existence this always on always contactable fear of missing out you know by this by this fitness tracker and you'll never miss another text or or email or phone call again well maybe if you're out paddling or swimming you might actually want to or running you know <laughs> maybe we should be maybe we should be embracing fear of missing out but i i guess what i'm trying to say is that um a lot of these technological solutions are trying to use complexity to lure us in and these oh yeah these algorithms dreamed up by these geniuses in silicon valley and in doing so we're making the minors into the majors and we're obsessing over these marginal gains you know and seeing them as as little speed bumps maybe in the road and all the while we're falling down into these giant um sinkholes um, whether it's a lack of breath awareness it's um you're eating like crap you're not recovering well, you're not sleeping well, you're not moving enough. And, and so really, I think uh, what, what we're saying is that if technology can be used to connect the dots, as Brian said, to to cue you in a way that you're able to return to simplicity and you're able to start reconnecting to your own instincts in a very simple and elemental way. And then also, if you're able to put yourself in the novel and complex environment and, uh, you know, Stephen Kotler in what he says in the book, that he can drop himself into a pretty good flow state just by taking for his, you know, his dogs for a walk every morning. And you mentioned walking in nature. You know, I, my little commute in quotes is a 30 minute each way walk to the coffee shop every day. And just the, the novelty and complexity that presents, even if you were walking the same path every day again, ties into something very en elemental in us and something very simple that we often lose when we're wired up to all these different devices and we're se actively seeking out complexity. Right. No, I agree with that hundred percent. And, um, one of the themes that I've been playing with, um, and my friend, Bob Schultz, Captain Bob Schultz, Navy SEAL is the one who coined it, but it's this idea of finding simplicity on the other side of complexity, because we're not going to, we're going to get rid of complexity, but you know, being, you know, focusing and trying to chase every, shiny little toy or in every shiny idea that comes along is a recipe for disaster. Right. And so to, you know, to boil it down, it's like, I'm sure Brian and I could, you know, if I said uh, Brian in, in, you know, in 20 words, describe the theory of training, right. It would be spot on. And, and Glassman did that yeah. in hundred words, you know, <laughs> yeah. where, he, where he covered training and, and nutrition. But, you know, the, uh, the reality is constant variance, functional movement, high intensity. It was a brilliant formula, you know, for, for training you know, not all types of training, but for certainly metabolic conditioning and, um, you know, eat nuts and berries, eat close to the earth, eat whole foods, you know, eat less than you, you're told <laughs> intermittently fast and eat more fat than, you know, they tell you to eat. That's probably like, that's my prescription for eating well. You know what I mean? So simplicity on the other side of complexity is to not get stuck into the, the yeah. drama and into the marketing yeah. hype. And just listening to your body and listening mm. to the sages like Brian. Brian and Mark. Brian and <laughs> Phil, you know. <laughs> <Brian and Mark. laughs> Thank you. 
I wasn't gonna you can be as humble as you want, but I'm gonna bring it back to you. All right, guys, we've been going for an hour. I appreciate your time. I do want to ask you, uh, Phil, what was the biggest thing you learned in writing Game Changer? Because this is, you know, we have a lot of, we do a lot of team development at SealFit. And I'm just kind of mm-hmm. curious, what was the biggest insight that you got out of writing that with uh, Dr. Connolly? So now you're asking me to condense 193,000 words into 12. I'm asking you to find simplicity on the other side of the complexity, right? And I think really, um, I think really, so here's what it is, is Fergus, in working with with special operators, both in the UK and the US, um, he's a good trusty Irishman, is is uh, my co-author, Dr. Fergus Connolly, and in working with team team sports teams in almost every major field and court sport in the world um both in the uk and australia and the us mm-hmm. fergus really he, he came up with a couple of different models and the most impactful to me was um what we were initially calling the the ttpp model or the four coactive model mm-hmm. and his point here is that we it, the more elite you get in team preparation, whether that's in the military or in team sports, the more we focus on the physical. It's physical, physical, physical. We need to get bigger. We need to get stronger. We need to get faster. We need to improve our endurance. Mm-hmm. And one of his central tenets is that in it, whatever game day means for you, in addition to expressing physical qualities, you are simultaneously expressing those that are psychological, those that are technical, and those that are tactical. And all of those are being expressed, if you're doing it correctly, to drive the team towards um, the commander's intent. And everything else is meant to be subservient. And really, he started to, to look at some, some examples, say, in, in American football. Wrong kind of football for me, wrong shape ball, etc., soccer, whatever you want to call it. But, um, and he looked at somebody like Peyton Manning. And or even Tom Brady, you know, that was obviously famously the last draft pick. And what he found that longevity, your physical qualities may get you into the game at the highest level. But if you were to have longevity, you've got to have something else in the tank. You've got to have these technical, you've got to stay in the game long enough to develop technical and tactical awareness and then the psychological fortitude to perform at the highest level over and over again. Mm-hmm. And really, one that we were initially going to call the book Game Day because his approach is saying we need to evaluate teams and players through each of these four lenses um, using Game Day and then working back for, backwards from there to identify limiting factors in each of those four areas and strengths and finding a way to minimize the negative impact of those limiting factors while developing the strengths and then creating teaching and learning experiences where athletes have to problem solve or tactical athletes have to problem solve. You want to get them to a certain outcome, but all you do is design the drills and let them go from there. And in doing so, you're trying to develop not only the physical, but also the psychological, the technical and the tactical elements that are needed to to win the day for whatever game day means for you. That's cool. That was more than 12 words, by the way. 
Oh, I know. You know I go long. If you can write a 193,000-word book, you know I'm going to go long, Mark. <laughs> but that, that reminds me, like, as, I, as you were talking, I was mapping it to our four, you know, the, the integral four-quadrant model, and I'm like, yeah, the teams must, you know, develop and be aware of, you know, the I-sphere, which is a psycho-emotional individual player, and then the we-sphere, which is where the morphogenic field which is alignment around vision and intent, which you called commander's intent, which comes from the military. Then that its fear is that objective tech and, you know, individual body, um, you know, aspects. And then the its plural is the, the inter-objective strategic, tactical, and systemic aspect. And they all co-arise simultaneously. And as a coach or a trainer, you got to pay attention to all four of those. It sounds to me like that's a, another mm-hmm. way of, explain mm-hmm. what you just said and i did it in fewer than 175 words it was very impressive and i think fergus would do a That's much right. better job of explaining it than i would i'm just the scribe <laughs> right brian just the words the written words guy <laughs> that's awesome though well done i can't wait to read game changer um i can't wait to read unplugged oh someone over and so um i'm gonna have to go out and get me a yeah. copy um and oh, that would be really cool so there you go and where where can we um so where can folks social media is easiest um besides the book instagram at i am unscared twitter brian mckenzie and then um brian mckenzie on facebook or uh, yeah that's and then um power speed endurance is our website powerspeedendurance.com so everything we do including the seminars stuff like that on the breath work and all of that um all exists within power speed endurance Yeah, and how about you, Phil? Yeah, just uh, social as well, which is ironic, isn't it? Writing a book called Unplugged and then saying, yeah, yeah go on, pull up your device again. But uh, pretty much every everything backslash Phil White Books and then philwhitebooks.com. Okay. Awesome. Yes, sir. Thanks so much for your time. Yeah, Brian, look me up same. when you come down yeah, here. Absolutely. I'd love to get together and chat, and I'll, I'll do the same if I make it up that way. Yeah, same thing, Phil. All right, everyone, um, go check out Unplugged and also Game Changer. I think they're both, um, both books are going to be game changers. And um, check out Brian and Phil online if you want you know, support with your writing. Check out Phil if you want support with your training for speed and endurance and power. Check out Brian. These guys are awesome. And um, until next time, stay focused, breathe, develop that unveiled mind, and then go out and do something good with it. Ooh-yah. Divine out. Boys, time to explode, boys. Make sure you get home, boys. They got your back, the pride of the fleets, the bright swing.